We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Hoosier Huddle podcast. Uh, we are talk, wrapping up the Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, we're also talking a little bit recruiting uh, and what's going to go on this off season and expectations for next season. Uh, we'll be joined by Nick Holmes and um, we'll get into all those things. Indiana just picked up a another recruit commit for the 2016 class, Tyler Nady. Out of Texas, he's a, a fullback, H-back type of, uh, of player, and, and he's you know a really nice specimen. But uh, let's put a bow on, uh, on on the pinstripe bowl real quickly. We'll welcome Nick Holmes uh, into the show in a second. Um, Nick, how are you? Hey, I'm not I'm not too bad. I was uh, glad to see that. Uh... News come through come uh, about Tyler Natty out of Texas. Looks like a, a good gift for Coach Wilson in this program where he lines up. No one uh, knows it. Well, no one knows at this point. But, uh, yeah, he just looks like a good old football player who uh, looks like he pay some dividends real soon. Uh, definitely. And, uh, you know, he committed right before we started the show by, you know, on purpose. Uh, so we have something to talk about <laughs> other than the pinstripe ball. So uh, we right. want to thank Tyler for, for um, you know, lining it up perfectly with our podcast tonight. Uh, but Nick, <clears throat> Nick, anyway, let's, let's start with, with the pinstripe ball. Uh, it was a great game. It, it got terrific ratings on, on TV. Apparently I don't know the numbers, but I saw that, it got a higher rating than any of the regular season college basketball games uh, either last year or so far this year. So it's pretty impressive. And, you know, that's why they have all these bowl games. But uh, let's start off with, you know, what went wrong. Uh, in your eyes, what went wrong for IU? You know, I think it just kind of comes down to what what has happened um, all year. It's just missed opportunities. Um, IU played – I was saying this as the game was going on. I predicted a 14-point win, and I still stand by the fact that I think IU is at least a 14-point better team than Duke. But uh, once again, big plays got away from the defense. Uh, they allowed a, a kick return for a touchdown, which, you know, for the most part all year, coverage teams have been great. And then um, just some uh, missed opportunities on offense, maybe some some play calling that uh, at times was – maybe not what you would hope. And then there were some drop passes, which continue to plague the offense at times. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of things went wrong, uh, highlighted by the, the field goal that either went, was good or not good, or, you know, that's beyond the point. And, and we'll get into whether or not replay should uh, still be in, in, in the game. Uh, but, to me, it came down to the first quarter. Uh, IU was outscored, mm-hmm. I, I believe it was 10 nothing. Um, 
in the first quarter. They did not look sharp. Uh, they looked mm-hmm. a little rusty. Nate Sudfeld missed some throws. They threw an interception on a on a on one of those tunnel screens down in the red zone that took points off the board for IU. Um, so, to me, it was making plays in the first quarter and special teams. Now, special teams had been okay for IU all year. Uh, you know, you had Mitchell Page return two punts for a touchdown. He fumbled a, a punt, got ripped out of his hands trying to make a play. Uh, inside IU's 20, uh, you had a kick return for a touchdown after that Simi Cobbs uh, drop in the end zone. We'll talk about that play a little bit um, in a little bit as well. Uh, and then you had the two missed field goals from Griffin Oaks. Um, you know, one of them 56 yards, tough field goal. But, you know, maybe some of that's on the whole kicking the laces. I know when I when I was a kicker in high school, you could definitely tell when they were kicking with the laces in. And it affects um, how you hit the ball and how you strike the ball. And it decreases your margin of error on, on, on creating a good hit. Uh, to me, it's like, you know, how you hit a volleyball. If you have your thumbs uh, together, your margin of error is very slight. Uh, as to when you have your thumbs together and it, and it's a flat surface. So, um, there I'm putting my uh, PE degree to use. Um, no, so. I was I was going to ask you since since you had the experience of kicking, if if that had a, a huge difference. And obviously, um, Oaks was a little displeased with that. But you know, I think you know largely, and we talked about this as the game was going on. You were in New York, and I was back here in Indiana. And you know, we said going into this game that we felt IU was a better team. And, you know, I once again, I'm going to stand by the fact that I still think they're a 14-point better team. Um, going into next year, and I'm not I'm not getting out of this game by any means, but, um, you know, IU's got to learn not to play down to their level of competition because obviously they can play up to any level of competition, whether that be Ohio State, whether that be Michigan, whether that be Iowa, all one-possession games. Um, but then you look at the the Rutgers and Duke game, IU was clearly the better team in both instances. And I think that's where, you know, as as the team continues to mature, obviously you lose a lot of um, senior leadership and Spriggs and Jerry, Rayner, Sudfeld, and then with the with the announcement of Howard, which I'm sure we're gonna talk about with him with him foregoing his final season, all those things, you know, taken into account, you still bring back a lot of veterans and hopefully another year of growth, um, learning just to, you know, this is said a lot, but you got to step on your opponent's throat. When when you see that they're kind of wincing, they're they're flinching a little bit. You know, get in a couple shots, get up a couple point, get up by two possessions as a point as opposed to three or seven. And I think that would have made yeah, all it, the difference. Not sorry. No, no, you're you're spot on, and I, I wanted to add add to that, Nick. Um, where that Simi Cobb's catch comes in handy. I also want to point out the, the Jonathan Crawford interception that would have given Indiana. Uh, great field position. Instead, there are two big penalties that pushed them back 22 yards, and they ended up, I, I believe they ended up punting uh, at the end of that possession. Uh, but mm-hmm. you're right, going up two possessions was the story of the year. Um, y- you saw it early against Ohio State, um, and, and Ohio State coming back. You know, Rutgers, they were up by more, more than two possessions, yep. obviously. But, you know, if Simi Cobbs makes that catch on the Mitchell Page pass, and, you know, he did make a great play to get position and, and make a play on the ball, but that's a ball you got to catch. That makes it, instead of making it a seven-point game with a field goal, you make it an 11-point game, and really I think Duke is out of it by then. And and yep. you heard Duke's players after the game saying, hey, we kept it within a one-score game, and that kept us in it. 
And if you make mm-hmm. it a two-score game, it's that much more difficult because then you could run Redding a little bit more. You could establish, you know, eating some clock and, and still being aggressive at the same time. That takes a little bit of pressure off your offense. Um, if you do make it a, a two-score game, then you have a little margin of error on defense as well. So, you know, you're that's 100%, you know, my analysis too, Nick, is, is we got to, they got to get these games to two score games to where they could really build on it. And, and as you said, had that killer mentality. And I think that would help out the, you know, obviously that helped out the defense. Now growing up, now this is kind of a odd comparison, but growing up as a, as a Colts, as a Colts fan, um, the Colts were able to get up by, you know, when Peyton Manning was in his prime, the Colts defense was never good, but they always had good pass rushers. You get up by two scores, generally that's going to tell the opposing offense, I'm going to have to move the ball through the air quickly and get back in this game. Well, IU had a couple good defensive ends this year with Zach Shaw, Bandit, Manjurit defensive end. It allowed them to pin their ears back a little bit more, so maybe in the future um, that could come into come into play again this upcoming season. I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's, it's something that's going to have to be fixed for 2016 is, is the defense's you know, this offense was, was really, really good. It was top in the Big Ten. You had a 3,000-yard passer. You had a 1,000-yard receiver and two 1,000-yard running backs. Yep. So, you know, with that offense, you should win more than six games. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so this defense, it doesn't have to be great. It just has to be mediocre. Uh, and, and yep. they, you know, the front seven was, was good this year. You had guys like Mangieri and Shaw, um, and you had guys in the linebacking crew, Marcus Oliver had a terrific year. T.J. Simmons played well at times. Um, Clyde Newton had a great bowl game. Uh, so, yep. you know, the, the secondary needs to be improved and to do that. And if you could keep people to averaging maybe 28 points a game instead of 40, I don't know what they finished with, but I'm sure it was in the high 30s or low 40s, um, where – you know, you could win games 42-28 instead of losing them 44-41. You know, That'll make a, a huge difference. And I don't know, maybe that's something to do with the defensive staff, and I wouldn't be shocked if there's um, some changes on the defensive staff, uh, you know, before too long as well. Yeah, I mean, as far as the defense goes, you you got to hand it to them. I think, you know, as we were going into last week, and I mentioned, you know, takeaways. they got to get some takeaways. Well, they did a – they did a good job of that, obviously, with a, with a couple picks. Um, you know, Latham had a, an incredible pick, a uh, great play. I mean, they showed some great hands, and and I think that says a lot right there. And if they can just eliminate those, you know, 60, 85-yard runs, then the game would have had a different outcome. Because it's not like I – mean, Duke had some methodical drives for sure. But for the most part, I did a, a decent job at times of really kind of, um, you know, slowing them down and really taking them out of their game. If Surf wasn't able to uh, move around like he was, um, obviously the outcome would have been different. But, you know, the defense did show some improvement at times. Obviously, 44 points isn't, isn't obviously where you want to be. But, uh, yeah, creating some turnovers was a positive, I thought. Yeah, and, and you're right. And, and sitting there in the first half, Nick, I thought that the defense kept that team uh, in the game. And, you know, it's it, that's exactly what you want out of this defense is bits and spurts. That's exactly what you should expect. It's not going to be great. Of course, you want a defense mm-hmm. who could play consistent, but you want that defense who could get a stop here and there, 
give your offense the ball back and for them to score. And they really kept him in the game. You know, Fant had a big pick. I think it was 10 nothing, mm-hmm. and Duke was driving against Fant, make it, made a great play. Uh, Latham made an unbelievable play. He came out of nowhere and basically swallowed the ball. So, um, you know, it, they did make some plays. And, and Crawford... You know, it wasn't a great interception. The throw was a duck from a from a wildcat guy, but that that was a play that you know should have sealed the game for IU. That's a play where IU's up, I think four at the time, uh, or three or four at the time. You get that play. If there's no penalties on Ralph Green on the side, where it's debatable whether Duke should have been called for a penalty too, uh, but right. you know you keep that clean. Maybe they go down the field and score and put that game away. So the defense. They did have timely picks. It was a lot like at the beginning of the year, which we talked about on our pregame show, uh, where you know they got those interceptions. Yeah, the defense gave up yards and they gave up some points, but they got those timely timely picks. And you know this time, IU didn't catch them into to points, where which is what they were doing at the beginning of the year. So it, you know it's it's all about what you do with those turnovers. And then don't forget the offense turned the ball over twice and special teams turned the ball over once. Yep. So your turnover margin was zero. So it, it's nice yeah. as those three picks were, you know, the offense gave the ball right back to, to Duke at, the, at those times as well. So um, Nick, let's move on from this. Uh, if you want to give your take on the, on the quote, miss field goal, uh, you can, I'd, trying not to stay bitter about it. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought Griffin Oaks had a, had a nice comment on Twitter saying, you know, he next next year we're, we're going to be back at it even harder, and it was my fault for making that, that close. So he took some ownership and responsibility, and, you know, we'll see what goes on. Um, uh, talking about that last drive, too, it, it was I thought they got a little too cute, uh, something I asked Wilson in the press conference which apparently nobody else wanted to ask, so I asked it. Uh, but, you know, they, it seemed like they were playing for a field goal. And um, it was weird because they, they did, had a short pass, which, you know, they had longer routes, but they were covered. Uh, but, you, you know, you have a, two All-American offensive linemen, an offensive line who is just pounding Duke all day, uh, and, and a running back who, you know, who had 227 yards at that point. And you, you don't give them the ball. It's a little head scratching, and and you know I, I I didn't like the play calling there in overtime. Yeah, that was um, it was a little frustrating considering the uh, your bell cow all day and that uh, Divine Redding was just pretty much running at will on the Duke defense. So it didn't make a a lot of sense from uh, the couch either. I'm sure it was even worse up in the in the press box. And as far as the field goal itself, it's really. It was one of those things where um, you just – the fact that IU had allowed it, let it get to that point, um, it was disappointing, but it was more frustrating just looking back, like we just talked about it, all those missed opportunities where they could have just put the game away or the uh, missed field goal at the end of, of regulation. So when that field goal didn't go through and the officials didn't review it and then the rules came out that said, no, this isn't a reviewable play – it, yeah, it was frustrating, but at the same time, I think it was all the events before that just felt much more frustrating than, than that particular miss kick or not miss kick. Yeah, that's it's, that's well said, Nick, and, and you're right. It was almost like a cherry on, on the top. 
of uh, of a disappointment cake. Uh, but Nick, let's let's start looking to 2016. Um, you know, we saw you know IU is going to be without Jordan Howard. He declared for the NFL draft, uh, so you know, that leaves them with some options at running back. You saw Divine Redding really filled in well from for him this year, especially down down the stretch against Maryland, Purdue, and and in the bowl game against Duke. Uh, he finished with a thousand yards. It's the first time ever that IU's had two thousand yard rushers in the same season. So that's something that that they could hang their hat on, be proud of. These are records that haven't existed. And you know, when you look back, at, I, we get the media guide every year, and you look back at these records that I, that Kevin Wilson's offense is putting in there. It's refreshing to see that some of these records from the '80s and '90s are getting pushed back by by newer. Um, newer players, newer uh, coaching staff, and newer teams. So uh, that's always refreshing. But going forward, what are your expectations for 2016? Well, I mean, before we jump into that, I, I you know, we talked about the, the disappointing performances. But I think, you know, just to kind of highlight some of some of the um, extraordinary play, not extra, extraordinary, but, you know, um, you know, Simi Cobbs have had a couple drops. You know, he had a great day with six receptions and 21 yards, and he finished with over 1,000 yards in the season. So I think, obviously, projecting forward, he he looks to be another uh, – he's going to be a great asset for uh, whomever whomever is the starting quarterback next uh, next fall. Mitchell Page, you know, um, the fumble was obviously disappointing, but he's been one of the most sure-handed players on the team all year, had 11 catches for 95 yards. And, you know, Ricky Jones – um, started his career out with a lot of injuries, and he he finished uh, the year solid with four catches and 89 yards in that uh, in that game. And then I think it's kind of interesting to point out that the first couple of touchdowns were by uh, by names that most IU fans were were texting me during the game saying, "Wait, who is that? Look, Timmy and who?" So I was giving some uh, some people some insight on who Timian was and Westbrook, and it was obviously. Uh, as a as a Yankees fan, it was probably pretty cool to hear A. Rod scoring a touchdown in Yankee Stadium. So just to point some of those guys out, um, obviously the season did not end on the high note, but it was it was just great to see those players um, kind of come out of um, obscurity and uh, have an impact. Yeah, and and that's something that that I I pointed out to other writers sitting behind me is that. You know, seeing some of these young guys really gives you hope for the future. Whereas, you know, when when Latimer and and Hughes and Shane Wynn were here, you didn't have that hope. They were just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but now mm-hmm. you you've heard the names: Nick Westbrook, Luke Timian had. You know, he only had two catches all year, but they were two monster catches. One was a touchdown to put IU up. Uh, the other was a, a, a tremendous fourth down. I believe it was a fourth down. Uh, catch at Maryland that kept that game alive for the for IU. So there there is hope for this offense, and I think this offense is this team could be very very good next year. Uh, seeing you know it's going to be exciting. It's the first time I've actually really been excited about spring practice. It's you know you you have a battle at quarterback. You want to see who's going to take the reins at running back. Uh, you have all these receivers. You have Jay Sean Harris coming back. Uh, Camion Patrick's going to be in the mix, uh, either running back or receiver. Uh, you can see him all over the field. So, you know, spring practice a lot of times is just, oh, you know, the doldrums of winter are over and football's back. But this is the first time in a while that I think IU football has a really, really fun 
uh, spring practice ahead of them. Yeah, I think what it is for me more than anything is like, you know, you always get excited, but um, in the past it was always kind of a, a cautious optimism um, because you really weren't sure what you're going to get. Obviously, when you the year before you were pl- replacing multiple wide receiver, uh, one thousand yard receivers, like you mentioned with with Hughes and Latimer, and then last year with Wynn, we really weren't sure what we'd have at wide receiver. Well, I think going into 2016, we're pretty comfortable with what we have on the outside. Like you mentioned, um, adding Patrick out there, if, if that's where he ends up, or he ends up somewhere else on on offense, and obviously Harris Harris was a really strong contributor as a true freshman, missed us last season with a knee knee injury, will be back. Um, so him and uh, Paige in the slot obviously looks like a great tandem there. And then, like you mentioned, um, Westbrook's really, you know, only scratched the surface of what he can do a full, full winter in the conditioning program. It'll be great to see how he comes out. And then all the other returning guys, like you mentioned, Cobbs and Jones. And, you know, I think – the the big question mark, and not really a question mark, because um, Coach Fry does a great job with the offensive line, but replacing Spriggs, who looks like a no less than a second-round draft pick, um, it'll be interesting to see who gets um, slotted in there. I know that you had mentioned that uh, Feeney could be a guy. They might move him out there. Um, or Knight, who played tight end towards the end of the season, if he balks up a little bit, maybe gains 15 pounds. Um, looks like the guy that could be out there as well. So the offensive line looks to be another um, solid part going next year. Tight end, I'll let you discuss that a little bit. But I think for the most part, you have a ton of returning pieces on offense. You just need to uh, find who your gunslinger is going to be next year because he'll have plenty of weapons at his disposal. Uh, yeah, and as as a tight end, you know, Danny Friend, I believe he didn't play, so – you know, he's eligible for a medical redshirt. We'll see if he takes it for a sixth year, but he'll be back for his his fifth year next year. Um, that should solidify it and allow Brandon Knight to move back. You also have um, the JUCO, uh, I think it's Ian Thomas or Ian Thompson mm-hmm. uh, is his name, yep. coming in from Nassau Community College. You have Austin Doris uh, will be a redshirt freshman uh, coming in. We'll see if he can make the adjustment and, and play. And, and Jordan Fuchs. Uh, hopefully is back healthy, and he's a guy who, when he played, he was very effective um, in the passing game. You saw him get two, <laughs> I believe, two touchdowns against Rutgers. Um, he's a guy who could be a matchup problem. We talked about him all preseason uh, about that. So, you know, the tight end position, it should be a little bit more athletic next year. Um, you know, if they move, if they keep Brandon Knight there, he's, you know, he he was the key to that run game with Danny Friend going yeah. down, um, and you saw that run game struggle a little bit against Penn State and and against Ohio State. But you know, as soon as they moved Brandon Knight over to tight end, that running game really took off. You saw it against you know Michigan State; they did okay, and and obviously Iowa and Michigan were terrific, and and Maryland and Purdue were terrific. So maybe keeping Brandon Knight at tight end, um, if some of these if some of these offensive linemen can fill in. Uh, would be an option. So I think tight end, you know, should be a position of strength uh, if everybody stays healthy. Yeah, that's that's the way it looks like to me. And I guess quickly looking at um, special teams, um, I think all of our long snappers will be back. Um, Gotzel, and, you know, with Toth, he'll be entering his final, I believe, was he a redshirt senior this year? Um, 
Yeah, Toth is graduating, and okay. Crescent Oaks will be a junior next year. Yep. So it'll be interesting so to see who comes out at Tunner. Yeah, I, I believe it's going to be Joseph Gideon. He looked good in practice. I know it's just practice, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, in practice and warm-ups, he looks good. <laughs> I think I already named him to the, the Pete Mortel uh, Holder of the Year watch list, where <laughs> um, he actually named himself. I just endorsed him. Uh, and, and actually, Pete Mortel endorsed him, too, because he retweeted that tweet. So um, we'll see. I, you know, we'll see. There will be some position battles at, at Punter and Holder, uh, which – this podcast is getting out of hand if we're talking about position battles that are older. <laughs> uh, but um, dedication, so that's dedication. Yeah. Um, so don't uh, don't tell us we we don't give you all the information. So we'll have positional breakdowns and and we'll include punter and holder in there because they are important positions that don't get any recognition unless you mess up. So yeah. uh, you know. We'll see where they go for there. But my expectations for next year, Nick, uh, you know, obviously the defense has to improve. I think Jamie Thompson coming in as a JUCO in the secondary, getting a healthy Chase Dutra back, um, getting some of these guys back from injury in a year older, I think will help. Jonathan Crawford was terrific. He was so physically worn down at the end of the year that, you know, I heard rumors he couldn't do a push-up. And that's how beat up he was. Um, but he was still out there. I mean, I think he played over 900 plays. And he played – he was excellent. He was third on the team – second or third on the team in tackles. He had four interceptions. Um, and, it, you know, as a freshman coming – true freshman coming out of high school, it's – man, he, he did a terrific job. So you have him back. Your linebacking core is back. You have Simmons as a senior. Clyde Newton will be back. Marcus Oliver will be back. Um, so seeing some of those guys at senior, now you're going to have to replace Manjiri and uh, Zach Shaw, but, you know, maybe some of these young guys uh, can step in. You still have Rainer, or sorry, not Rainer, you still have Latham and, and Green uh, in the middle, uh, and you could build around from there. But, you know, the secondary should be a little bit deeper, and, and hopefully, you know, maybe you'll see – Leon Thornton stay there uh, with the depth of wide receiver and maybe get some playing time there. Maybe Isaac James, uh, don't rule him out moving moving to defense. That's something that, you know, it's it's shot in the dark. I'm not saying he's been practicing on defense, but, uh, you know, that's something. Don't be surprised to see if he's playing defense in the spring. Yeah, I mean, and you can't forget Hoff. Now, Hoff didn't have quite as good a year that he had as a, as a freshman, but He's another name that they'll throw in there at um, defensive tackle, nose tackle. So it'll be nice to see if we can have a bounce-back season. And as far as, as a bandit defensive eye, defensive end goes, um, Brandon Wilson's a name. Uh, he was a true freshman redshirted this year. Um, Greg Gooch saw quite a bit of time out there this, this season. And then Niall Sykes, I know that he, he was also out there at times. And he might be another name to get in the mix at bandit. Um, and then at, at corner, we you know, that was a position that um, – they ran through quite a few bodies this year. Fant was pretty much the only constant. And he had a, he had a really, really strong season, had multiple pass breakups, finally got that elusive pick against uh, Duke. And then as far as at the other corner, it's really just kind of wait and see. Um, like I said, you burn through quite a few true freshmen at that spot, whether it be Tyler Green, Andre Brown, Devontae Williams. Um, and then, like you mentioned, Leon Thornton. Ben Box saw some time there. 
So it'll be interesting to see how that battle goes during the spring. I, I know that uh, they were not happy with the um, passing defense, obviously, since it ranked last in the nation. So that obviously needs to be um, taken care of during the during the off season, whether it be in the spring. But yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of a lot of bodies they can throw out there, and it'll be interesting to see who who comes to the top during springtime. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, you know, the expectations for next year should be another bowl game. Um, you know, when you're building a program, a lot of times it's said that, you know, at first you you lose big, then you lose close, then you win close, then you win big. And taking from where this year was, maybe the next step for IU is winning those close games, winning a few of them, uh, and getting eight, you know, seven or eight wins instead of uh, scratching and clawing for six. But their schedule is very manageable. Uh, they had three very winnable non-conference games. Uh, they open at uh, FIU and get uh, Ball State and Wake Forest at home. Uh, and, and their conference schedule uh, is tough, obviously, being in the East. But, you know, you get Penn State and Michigan State at home. They might take steps back uh, with Hackenberg and Cook leaving. Uh, you get Michigan on the road. Uh, you get Northwestern, and and you get your crossovers are Northwestern, Nebraska, and Purdue, uh, but you you also have new coaches at Maryland and Rutgers. So there are definitely three Big Ten wins out there for next year. So is your expectation, Nick, for for another bowl game next year? Yeah, I think anything less would be a disappointment. Um, be, I uh, I look at that Ball State game, and and they've had our number here recently now with Pete Limbo leaving their program. Um, they're going to be going through some growing pains, not only being their uh, week two of the season, IU should handle them quite easily, I would hope. Um, but, yeah, as far as Nebraska, I'm excited for them to travel to Bloomington. That's a game that we've that I've been waiting for since Nebraska was brought into the Big Ten. Yeah, so it should be a fun year. Um, we'll cover uh, recruiting in the off offseason. Uh, Nick, that's right up your alley. Um, and, and we'll see a, a revival of, of your uh, recruiting, uh, you know, your recruiting roundups. Uh, and, you know, we'll have updates, uh, guys committing. Uh, we'll have something out on, on Tyler Nady. We'll also have season wrap-ups. Uh, I'll have some grades out for the year. Uh, TJ has done some terrific uh, work on, on season roundups uh, and picking, going month by month, picking game of the month, player of the month. That's a terrific read. Um, and we have our life after Jordan Howard uh, piece up as well. So, Nick, do you have anything in the works as, as well? <laughs> I'm just getting caught up on recruiting, like you said. And, you know, I just uh, – obviously the loss wasn't what we wanted, but rest assured that this program looks like it's headed in the right direction. Yeah, and, and it definitely is. And we'll see. You know, I think that – um, the next step is, is giving Coach Wilson an extension. I think it will happen. It's got to happen soon. If I was a betting man, um, I would say it would happen probably the Monday after um, New Year's Eve uh, and New Year's after the holiday. I, that's when I think it would be announced. That's what I would do. Uh, they have to get it done before these guys take start taking official visits in January. Um, it, it's It's very important in recruiting to get this done. I, you know, through the grapevine, I've heard that that contract is in the negotiation stand, um, you know, status. So we'll see. I would expect something. If I had to 
to bet the farm on it, I, I would put my money on the Monday after after New Year's. Yeah, I hope that's the case. Yep. Well, anyway, that does it for tonight's show on uh, the Hoosier Huddle podcast. We thank you for joining us. I, it was a, a fun season, a terrific season, uh, and a bowl season. So, um, Nick, thanks uh, for joining me. Uh, have a great night, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, Sam. And be looking out for those recruiting reports. All right. We sure will. We'll have something out on on uh, on uh, on the, the latest commit. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're sponsored by D'Angelo's Italian Restaurant in Bloomington. Uh, great food if you want to go there before uh, a game, a uh, basketball game, any game. Uh, terrific Italian food. It hits the spots. Um, so do check that out if you haven't been. Uh, and, you know, we'll see you next week. Uh, keep with us. We'll have uh, all your off-season IU football coverage, uh, recruiting, uh, top ten lists. Uh, we'll have question and answer sessions with with you, the fans. Uh, we want to hear what you thought about this season as well. So uh, thanks for joining us this season. It has been terrific. Um, I want to thank you all for your support and, and your viewership and, and all the comments we get and uh, interactions. It's it's really been a, a fun season. Uh, so here's to 2016. Uh, have a happy new year, a uh, safe new year, and we'll see you uh, in January. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, 
the ultimate driving machine. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.